So, time of retreat, an occasion for meditative, contemplative deepening. The Thai phrase is Vivek, go Vivek, which is the Thai version of the Pali word Viveka, which means to disengage, to withdraw from surface things, superficial things, circumstantial, and to just draw back to the roots of experience. And this can be uh, as progressive, first of all we disengage from unskillful contact, and there can be an increasing capacity to skillfully disengage. It doesn't mean, you know, being absent-minded or inattentive, it means withdrawing to the roots of experience. So you're really following experience, you're still with experience, but from the outer manifestations of it, speech, action, sense contact, you're tracing it back to the roots of where experience arises. In the heart, in jitta. So I'll roughly translate jitta as heart, that's not the most adequate, but it's probably better than most terms. This withdrawal to the roots, to the, where experience starts, where it touches, where it starts to happen, where the sense of I am occurs. I am feeling, I am being this. That's, that's the roots of experience. Of course, most of our lives we spent not going to the roots, but acting upon that I am, I want, I don't want, I wish, I feel, and moving out. Mm. And naturally that movement out has to occur, but meditation you're turning back to the roots, so the way we act is then refreshed by resetting to healthy roots, not chaotic roots or starved roots or depleted roots or erratic. Action can then proceed from a healthier basis. And we draw back to that basis in jitta, where things arise. This is deepened and cultivated, you can even withdraw through jitta from heart to just awareness, where there's no none of this resonant feeling activation experience, it's just an open, peaceful. And so there's a graduated process of that, viveka, viraga, niroda, vodsaka, disengagement, dispassion, ceasing, relinquishment. But as we begin the retreat, we begin our session, we just uh, skillfully, how do you skillfully withdraw? What do you put aside? And why? The idea is you put aside in order to be more receptive, to emphasize, to accentuate the receptive aspect. I mean, listen deeply, take our time, linger, savor, check things out. Receptive. The active is moderated, turned down. There's action. The action is things such as 
responsive action, like steadying, checking, inquiring, lingering, subtle actions, Mm. pausing, going deeper, Mm. reflecting, subtle actions. Mm. There's always but the what has to be emphasized is the uh, receptive because uh, in everyday life often receptive is uh, crammed and so receptivity uh, diminishes because of just the amount of data that's coming in and the speed with which a reaction and response is required you're getting a very fast turnover. Meditation, it's a slower turnover. Mm. Data is moderated. Sense contact is moderated. Mm. Speech is moderated. Bodily movement is moderated. It's just not rigid, not frozen, not, not completely locked down, but moderated. Mm. And just so that we can listen more deeply. And you're going to the roots of experience. Rather than say the habitual reactions or even the habitual energies, which, say in daily life, even in the monastery, you know, there's a certain speed to get things moving, get things operating. Mm. And certainly outside the monastery, that can be so intense the speed or the irregularity, you know, speed, slam, stop, crash, slump, that the, you know, the mind is, energies are very discordant. I'm going to so turn it back to the receptive, and skimming away what's not needed. How do you know what's not needed? Well, you keep this itself is a process. You've got some guidelines, you know, simplicity, that which is complex, just put it aside, that which is abstract, future, past, opinions, views, notions, put it aside, abstract, because you want to get to direct, as direct an experience as possible. Abstractions are um, productions, and we're looking not so much at the productions of actions and reactions as immediate arising directly. And this level is, is where the language gets, Buddhist language is very clear. You know, we've got the various maps, the aggregates, the sense bases. Mm. Mm. Generally, close-up maps of our experience happens. And in order to get to use those maps, you've got to clear away all the stuff that gets placed on top of it. So essentially, you're clearing away that which obscures and can be cleared away. So we come to our internal world. Memories, hopes, worries, concerns. Some of it will just can be gently eased off. 
because the closer you get to the heart, the more deeply embedded those experiences are. And some of it you just have to, okay, that's not just going to be washed away, I have to look at that, contemplate that, and even get into what's what's holding this together. So you investigate. What you can't clear, you investigate. What you can't release, you investigate. And we also clear away uh, certain amounts of input so that we can have other forms of input. We've got room to pick up wise reflection, time to ponder the life of the Buddha, the example of the Buddha, so that it becomes like a, an internal image. What that means to you, clear, straightforward, noble, compassionate, kind, deeply centered, whatever that means, the image, the meaning and the image, something there that you can turn to and uh, contemplate and devotion arises. And inspiration arises and encouragement arises when you can internalize Buddha awakened in a human form. And so, so many unfortunate examples of human behavior. It's really helpful that to clear some of that, the corrupt, the foolish, the violent, with a human example of the warm, kindly, the clear, the straightforward, the reliable. And place that. And this is where I want to be. This is the this is the kind of company I want to keep. Put that there. So it begins to shine and replaces the unfortunate images that we tend to pick up from media and uh, in our own history. And this is a sense of, you know, we, our practice is devotional. We are, you know, saluting, making salutations to the Buddha, the Triple Gem. And you can, you know, it's something to cultivate, not just a piece of tinsel wrapped around meditation. It is an energizing of the heart. Heart is often depleted through worries and doubts and depression, anxieties and stress. Turn into something that will enrich, fulfill, something you can lean on something you can rest in. And this is a skillful addition, skillful taking in, receiving it. But as you can bear in mind, you know, you have to work at it because Buddha doesn't jump in your face. <laughs> it's not powerfully stimulating or outrageous, it's, it's just steady. You turn to that, 
This is an example of uh, an example of an object that is accessible, but you have to listen into it. So it, it asks you to be more deeply awake and attentive. So as you listen in, you become more attentive. The image of Buddha brightens up in the sense in which you'll begin to take on the qualities of Buddha. You become awakened, brighter, clearer, straighter. This is, this is what devotional practice is about. It's not sentimental. <laughs> you know, this has been going on in monasteries for thousands of years. People spend a considerable amount of time chanting, prostrating to Buddha images. Not because they're stupid, or they're doing something which is unifying their own heart energy with that of the Buddha, that of Buddha, if you don't want to personify it. It means there's a certain energy there that rises up above circumstance, and you can feel it. And it invigorates. It does have an invigorating effect. Because as you get to the roots of the mind, you realize whatever is experienced, the mind is energized by, for good or for bad. It tingles, it shimmers, it jumps, it shrinks. It gets impulsive, it agitates. But with these, like Buddha, you're, you're connecting to something where the energy of the mind is lifted, straightened, held bright. Amoja, gladness, piti, uplift, refreshment, rapture, sukha, ease. These are not just, these are definitely heart energies which have agreeable feeling associated with them. Of course there are many objects of reflection, but uh, considering the amount of Buddha images we have around us and the number of times we bow to this, prostrate to it, Chant to it. You know, it's sitting right there. <laughs> Everybody's room's got one. You know, as I was saying, we had this sad case of a person with uh, unfortunate perverted tendencies whose property we just inherited. He was his, his act of dana was to give his property but he had a very confused and criminal mind, afflicted with those tendencies. House was a complete garbage tip, full of junk, mess, all kinds of stuff. Right in the middle of it, there was the Buddha shrine, clean, tidy, bright. So even the this kind of extremely confused and congested and distorted mind, something there. 
that he could find a sense of clarity and brightness with, where he became something that was uplifted. Of course, this unfortunate person couldn't sustain it, but even in that, it's a very good image of, you know, the power and the significance of this image. We're not just talking about a material image, but an immaterial image. What awakening, enlightenment signifies. And feels like. Or what it, maybe you don't know what it, can't say I really know what it feels like, but I know what the path to it feels like. It, uh, it feels bright. It feels open. It feels uh, warm and gladdened. Kalyana in the beginning, it's beautiful in the beginning, uplifting in the beginning. Kalyana in the middle, beautiful in the middle, uplifting in the middle, good in the middle, Kalyana in the end. This is the way the Dhamma is experienced. So it contains that same characteristic. Kalyana, the light, the bright, the uplifting, the good, the noble. And this is our, Buddha is our keynote on that one. So that if we cultivate that keynote in the heart, then we become Kalyanamitta, spiritual friends or noble company. Not just about people you get on with or bodies, it's a different thing. It's a... It's not just about personal affiliations, it's something deeper than that. This is what our training is about. And we try to see that in ourselves and each other. See it in yourself. Are you a Kalyanamita to yourself? Do you live in accordance with the resonance of what your feeling for awakening is about? Do you return to it? respect it, rather than go to all the rest of the rubbish in the house, <laughs> the clutter, the rubbish, the chaos, like in this fellow's house, do you go to the rubbish and the chaos in your mind, or do you go to the shrine? And you go to the shrine, you keep going there, the rubbish is gradually going to drift out, clear out, clear out, clear out, clear out, clear out, because you're not putting energy into it. Unlike a material house, we have to get you know, a group of people down there with a truck to move the stuff. The immaterial house, you don't need anybody. You just put Buddha there, stay with that, and all of the bojanga, the, the factors, the limbs that stream from the Buddha, the facets and the faculties that stream from the Buddha, place there, energize those. The other stuff just withers because you're not giving it any energy it's cleared because it no longer seems worthwhile what am I bothering with that for this is beneath me that's not forget about that or we investigate it why is this still here why is this thing here what's the meaning of it what's it asking of me and so our practice is receptive it's active it's inquiring but all those hinge upon 
the central reference point that we need to approach. So just as you approach uh, the Buddha, you should approach the retreat in that same manner. Try to approach your daily meditations in that same manner as if you're going to, to meet the Buddha. Because in some sense, you are. Look at your living place. It's itself, it's just a good practice to look at your living place, knows how it is for human beings. We get cluttered. Stuff happens, you know, things come in, it's just it's clean, shrine, look at that, clean, clean, move away. What's not needed? Carry it through more clearly your own body, what kind of supports it, exercise, uh, you know, proper exercise of the body, walking, sitting, stretching, breathing, or ventilates the body. So you see anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, not as a kind of concentration practice, although it does have a concentrating effect, this is a cleansing practice. You put this simple gift of breath that rises through you, you focus on that, and let that move, the energy of that move through your body. And it's got to take the stress out. The Buddha said, with this practice, my eyes don't feel tired. It takes the stress out of the body, just the stress of impact. Mm-hmm. So you can even focus on the energy of breathing and bring it up to awareness around your face, your eyes, your head. It helps to relieve things like headaches and tension and stress. But uh, with any of this, remember, it's a very subtle form of, of process whereby we don't do it so much as encourage awareness to to move in those directions. Suffusion, pervasion, is the movement of awareness. As it, as from a, what the movement of heart. It's gently like something, like a sponge being saturated with water. And it just filters through. So it's not thump, you know, slap it out, knock it out get rid of this, push that away, just gently allowing your awareness to become heartful, full of these, or enriched by Buddha qualities, again pervading the heart, the body, and the mind. And something, oh, enough of that. Release that. Relax that, drop that. There was this undoing. So this is, uh, you know, the action, if you like, of awareness is much more a suffusion and a pervasion than a, what we'd normally call action.
So you be careful in meditation. You don't use the kind of actions that you do when you are using your uh, hands or your or your speech. Or, you know, it's going to do this, do that. It's, it's not quite like that. Mm. The keynote of it, meditation, is vitaka vichara, which is a vitaka is the light placing, and vichara is the open listening. Place, listen. And that listening, how is that? You don't necessarily get an answer. But you keep that. Mm-hmm. 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 And after a while you begin to sense, oh, something's disturbed or something's agitated. Mm-hmm. What's that? How's that? Mm. You don't get an immediate answer, but you feel that's some stress or agitation or because with that degree of receptivity, you're sinking past the verbal stories into the energies in the heart, where it's tight or stressed or fluttering. How is that? Now, if you put too hard, what occurs is you just meet the harder aspects, which is the thoughts, the psychologies. If you touch softly, you meet the softer aspects, which are underlying it. So it's very much how you meditate will affect what arises. If you meditate with a hard mind, you'll meet the hard stuff. And the hard stuff is often the more superficial, actually. You know, it's the stories. It's the self-images of what I am and what I'm not, what I could be and should be. And this uh, verbal and emotional web. Okay. You don't take an issue with that. You listen quietly underneath that, through that. So the pervasive quality can seep through this heavy crust of thoughts and moods into something more original, more primary. The very qualities of heart, heart as it's moved or affected. So we both clear away in terms of our data, we also clear away in terms of our approach. We're no longer in a hurry, we're not uh, knocking something out, we're letting awareness seep, seep and suffuse. You're not getting clear answers. Keep doing it again. So this is Vitaka, come back again, touch it again, again, just lightly touch it. How's that? Okay. How is it in your body? It's because this is really where we use the body in a most skillful way as something that will give us immediate uh, access. Whereas the mind can be ducking, weaving, confused, clouded. The body is always very, always tells the truth. It's always very direct. 
So you start with sensations in the body as an exercise in how to sustain Vitaka Vichara, placing thought, placing attention, and listening. And you start with the whole body. Body's in entirety. Must be borne in mind there's no evidence in the suttas that the Buddha ever recommended a narrow focus. There's nothing that mentions any degree of narrow focus. We tend to assume it because we assume attention is rather like a like the visual attention, which is always sharpening down to a point. But when you're attending to a body, you use body attention. And body attention is the whole body. When you walk, it's not feet that walks, the whole body walks. Your awareness is over the whole body. It's wet or cold, you know, it's sunny or it's whatever it is, your whole body is aware of that. When you're walking along, every part of the body is somehow affected by that. So you have this sense of the entire body as an entity and it's picking up various shifts and sensations. I mean, it's sitting down over the whole body. It tends to exercise unlocking from particular painful pieces that you get stuck in and also encouraging the mind to not just dig in in a obsessive way. If it digs in obsessively, it brings up its obsessions. How you act will definitely affect what you experience. So if your mind is really trying hard to get to that point where things go quiet, what you experience is the sense of trying very hard to get to the place where things go quiet. <laughs> it's, it's very direct. And what will come with it? Your obsessive need, your search for security, your feeling of inadequacy. And this will just start bubbling up. It's, 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 you know, when you look at it, it's actually completely clear. The way you act is going to affect what you act. Now, if you're acting, if your process is much more spacious and open, what you get is spaciousness and openness. That's <laughs> you know, instant karma, you could say. And so you're spacious, open, whole body, no particular pressure. How's that? Maybe you don't find it very convincing or exciting or getting anywhere, but just start to relax some of those attitudes. And maybe, bear in mind, maybe this thing could work by itself without me getting in there and doing it. You know, without me deciding what I'm going to get to and how I'm going to practice. It's just opening up, receptive to the entire body. How is that? How does it feel? As an entirety, probably. Qualities of disagreeable, agreeable. What's the energy like? Steadying it. So then you'll notice what speaks for itself. But you'll notice it in an open, spacious way. You'll notice imbalances. You notice feeling dense up in your shoulders. You notice feeling heavy in your head. You notice feeling 
tense or agitated. But if you keep your awareness on the whole form, you'll also notice places where you're not agitated. You notice your legs or your feet or your palms of your hands or the sides of your head or your, around your eye sockets where you can just open up. And the more you deepen into the fullness of the whole body, you'll find there are many, many places and areas which have got these release, release potential in them. And, then, and so you want to be aware of both the places where we're feeling somewhat unbalanced or agitated, and then connect those to the places which where you're not feeling that way. And they will drain the discordant energies and the body will come into balance. When the energies of the body are in balance, the energies of the heart start to get entrained, entrained by that. So they follow that same quality. Because at the roots of experience, energies of the body, energies of the heart, energies of the mind come together, merge, and this is called samadhi, collecting, consolidation. And it's not an intense, pressurized concentration. It's a skillfully, a skillful result of viveka, withdrawing, of gladdening, of settling, of simplifying, of attending to the whole thing, and letting the process work itself out. Let the process work itself out. Stop doing it. Have a devotional mind which offers, listens, follows, waits, and fall off, pick it up, go back there again, fall asleep, wake up again. Get sidetracked, pick it up. Get impatient, how's that feel? How's that feel? Okay. What about your back? What about the space around you? What about relaxing your face? Oh, suddenly that impatience with its very convincing story of how I need to do this and I've got to get that and how long has this been, all that story blows away and you're left with a kind of jangly energy that begins to release. This is the process of direct experience, so you're withdrawing from the abstract, which is what I should be, what I could be, what I'm not, how I'm going to practice, what Buddhism is, into the direct, which is felt. It said, you know, all dhammas are rooted in chanda, interest, motivation, desire, good or bad. All dhammas are compounded out of attention. What we give attention to, be careful. What you give attention to and how you attend. What you give attention to, is it steadying, gladdening? How do you attend? You attend obsessively or spaciously. This is going to compound the dhammas that arise. 
all dhammas well up, well up, originate, come rising up from contact. You feel it touches you. All dhammas converge on feeling. You feel it. Headed by concentration. Not necessarily good concentration. Dominated by mindfulness. You're referring to it rather than becoming it. Rather than being it, you're referring to it. Feels like that. How's that? All dhammas, wisdom exercises authority over them. Wait a minute, what's going on? What's this about? What's the significance of this? Do I really need that? Where does that go? You've been here before. What does that feel like? Look into that. Hmm. All dhammas, liberation is their essence. If we can deepen into, there's a letting go. Deathless is their culmination, and Nibbana is their termination. Those process, direct practice. So we're drawing. We're drawing to, not like to escape from experience, but we're drawing to the central bright shrine in the heart. Remember it, put offerings on it every day, recollect it, offer to it, take guidance from it. And that's there, you're breathing, your body will start to normalize into something you find a suitable place for work, for practice, for enjoyment. Your walking becomes uh, light, fluid, rather stiff. And uh, this is the opening of meditation. So let's take some time for direct practice. <clears throat> 